Leadership Matters on WNPI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Good evening. On behalf of my co-host, Fran Gavin, and myself, Tim Fredericks, I am very, very pleased to continue our series of shows on leadership that are curated by our doctoral students. This evening, we have uh, two doctoral students with us, uh, and I will introduce them, and then they will introduce our very special guest, uh, Maria Dunbar, one of our students, and Ken Fogaski, uh, the other one. So uh, I believe we're starting with Ken. Hey, how is everybody? So I'd like to introduce uh, our three guests. So our first guest is Dr. Michael Rossi. He's currently the superintendent of the Lenape Valley Regional School District. His educational career has spanned over 34 years, with the last 17 years serving as the superintendent of schools in multiple districts. Um, he has been the author of numerous publications throughout his career and has presented on all aspects of the teaching and learning process as well as associated topics within education. He's also a lifelong Green Bay Packers fan. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Mrs. Whitburn is also one of our uh, guests this evening. She is currently the principal at Jefferson Township Middle School. Her career in education has spanned 27 years, 14 of which have been spent here in Jefferson. Mrs. Whitburn's most prominent role in Jefferson was as director of our pupil personnel and services. While in her tenure as director, Ms. Whitburn was featured in an article published in Data Insights, where she explained the importance of data-driven goals among her department. Additionally, she and her counseling staff were nationally recognized through the American School Counselor Association for having established model programs with comprehensive counseling practices. And last but not least, we have Dr. James Peterson. He's currently the superintendent for the Essex County Schools of Technology, which is an award-winning school district in New Jersey. His career in education spans over 20 years and includes a variety of instructional and administrative positions. Dr. Peterson is the author of several articles and two books focusing on education, The Rise of Millennial Parents and Summer Versus School, The Possibilities of the Year-Round School. So tonight's topic is Career and Technical Education, whose acronym is CTE, which provides students of all ages with the academic and technical skills, knowledge, and training necessary to succeed in future careers and to become lifelong learners. So our first question is, how do you identify and develop a pathway for a school district? Additionally, how early do you feel these pathways should begin? Um, as the middle level educator, I think it's never too early to um, start investigating careers. Um, one of the things that we talked, talked about in Jefferson when I was a director is um, we were losing a lot of students to um, technical schools and we wanted to survey our students to see what it was about these technical schools that they were missing. So um, that's what we did to, to investigate the career paths. Um, and we also talked to our middle school students about what kind of programs that they needed or wanted that technical schools had that we didn't have. So it's always good to ask those questions to see um, to see what, what the students need and, and where they want to go and, and the district can respond. So I um, believe that um, uh, the way that has been successful uh, for a lot of us in identifying pathways is through the strategic planning process and uh, the ability to uh, galvanize uh, voices uh, among students, parents, uh, leaders, and, and, and teachers 
and then to create um, a framework by which those pathways can flow through and then uh, everything that uh, you, contem you contemplate moving forward budgetarily, uh, facilities-wise, hiring then uh, becomes a part and parcel of that uh, long-range planning document. Yeah, I agree with I agree with my colleagues. I think uh, the earlier the better, especially exposing uh, students uh, and young people to uh, careers and pathways. Uh, I, I even my own children, I've given them in, my own biological children have given them inventories to see what they their interests are and starting them as early as possible to figure those those things out uh, i think today the hardest part is that there are so many opportunities for students and i think the the number because they are so numerous it can be overwhelming so therefore by really familiarizing them and and with all the different possibilities i think it is, is extremely important to see where their natural inclinations and proclivities are um, uh, so that this way we could hopefully match that with a good career pathway for them. The last part was how often I think this should be done on a cyclical basis. I'll, I'll agree with my colleague Mike as well. It's a cyclical basis because if you're going to be looking to do some pathways, you then have to periodically look at what's happening in in the current um, in the current environment, and as well as trying to predict what's going to happen five, ten years from now, so that this way we could have our kids prepared appropriately. Thank you. Um, so following up on that, what do you think the priority is or how should we be prioritizing our school budgets to develop these new programs to exist within the district? So budgeting is uh, a challenge across the board for all of us uh, and it only seems to get uh, harder and harder. We go into every year uh you know assuming that uh, everything that we're you know we're currently doing we want to we want to continue doing or otherwise you know, why why are we doing it uh and so uh when you're trying to create new pathways you're essentially building on uh the 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 course of studies in the program that you have so in education we all know it's uh you can't run a deficit so uh, you know, just by the budget process itself, there should be an opportunity at the end of every year to, uh, uh, you know, when your audit comes and it's just about the time for us to get all of our audits now, some of us may already have them, and then put some of that money to capital and maintenance reserves so you can uh, potentially uh, enhance your, uh, you know, your physical infrastructure towards that. And then as uh, the hiring process uh, unfolds, you start to target individuals that perhaps have multiple certifications that uh, can, in fact, deliver the program of studies uh, that you have already identified are your priorities and, and create those multiple pathways for students. But uh, budgeting is Budgeting is a, is a very, very uh, challenging endeavor every year for all of us. Yep. In, in the CTE world, you know, we get a lot of our grant uh, from grant funds through Perkins. But one, it has to be tied to, and there are a lot of, there are a lot of conditions for this, and, and it, it, they're looking for, you know, high-earning, high high-skilled, and high-demand um, professions and CTE pathways that fulfill those three, that three, that three criteria. 
So that and that's extremely important. So in, in some cases, there I've seen some schools create programs that are in vogue, but maybe are not really um, really going to be long term effective. Yeah, and in, in in Jefferson, we actually um, we determined that we were going to create our own career. Um, programs um, here, at, here at the high school, and I was a part of um, developing those programs a few years back. What we did for budgeting is we did a cost analysis of how much it was costing us to send our students to um, the technical school. So we had to pay tuition, we had to pay um, transportation, and then we were also losing funding because, some, because you know the technical school, now those students count in their enrollment rather than our enrollment. So, so we did a cost analysis and then we took a look at what do we already have in place in our school? Um, similar to what you were saying, what, what teachers do we already have? What, what, what can we already tap into as far as um, our resources that we already have? And then taking a look at what our student interest is and trying to retain our students by having a competitive program here in the district to retain our students. And when we did our cost analysis, we figured based on that, if we could retain less than the number of students by one or two students each year, these programs would pay for themselves, which was quite um, quite outstanding once we did that once we did that analysis. So that was a real eye popper for us. Um, and then when considering the programs, we had to take a look at what kind of uh, materials we need. What what kind of um, infrastructure do we already have in place? What facilities do we already have? What equipment do we have? Um, and then um, factoring all that into it. And what we one of the ideas that we did have was turf management. For example, we wanted to take a look at perhaps the turf management academy here at here at Jefferson Township High School. One of the things, one of the reasons we couldn't do it, even though there was interest there and we had people that could could um, teach that class, we knew it was a, a class that would have a lot of consumables. Right, you have hardscape and landscape and things like that, and it just wouldn't be cost effective. Um, to get that program off the ground, but um, really doing a, a cost analysis of how to re of, of resources that you have in the district, and and you, you know it's it's almost like a business looking at it as a business. We, we don't necessarily want to make a profit, but we don't want to have a lot of expenditures. Um, and then also partnering with some local businesses. Um, Maria was good about getting one of our banking um, partners, local banking partners here um, with um, to work with our business academy. And, um, and and that's been very effective and also partnering with higher institutions of higher education so that we can have some dual, enroll dual enrollment um, situations for our senior year students in our academies. So I think we're off, uh, off to a good start and we have a really good model for, for getting those programs off the ground here in Jefferson. Yeah, and, and to your point too, when you're talking about staffing, when you're looking at career for CTE teachers or going in those pathways, it gets very, very, very challenging. Yes. Uh, it's hard, It's listen, it, we all know it's hard enough to just to get a math or a science teacher, try and find a welcoming teacher who's willing to do a, a, a starting salary of, I don't know, 60, 70, even 80,000 when he or she could already be making 150. Yeah, and you know what's 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 funny about that is um, some some people really just want to be teachers, and that and we mm -hmm. and we found that with a couple of our couple of our staff that we were able to hire for those academies, they really enjoy teaching, and they have come out of the workforce um, mm -hmm. to, to become teachers, and and they find that to be very rewarding. So 
they're 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 diamonds and they're diamonds, right? Or unicorns, right? So they're hard to find yeah. out there, right? In some cases, it could be just as simple as just some more, um, more definitive hours. I mean, for teachers, you know, it's very pretty. The schedule is set. In some okay. of these other high-profile positions, they could be making a lot of money, but their time is not their own. Yes, exactly. Good point. So then to sort of continue with the, the money conversation that, you know, we've been having. So now, like, what happens if uh, you have a high interest in an area, but there isn't district money? Like, what other ways can you obtain funds, you know, in order to get one of these programs up the, off the ground and making it sustainable? Like, you know, are there grants, bonds, or mm -hmm. other things of that nature that are helpful? Yeah, that's a million-dollar question. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, uh, it's literally, hard, it's hard. Yeah, literally, and yeah. like starting something out. I worked in a district. Uh, I was a principal in South Plainfield, and they had an auto program. But when I got there, they didn't uh, because it really what happened was they lost the teacher. The teacher just retired. When uh, I tried to to resurrect the program, the money to to because and it was only a lapse of maybe five or six years. But just the the, the technology that had changed and then improved it was going to be an amount that the budget could not sustain to reopen that, never mind how much it would be to find a teacher. But one of the creative solutions I've heard, and it depends on whether you're looking for credit or, or not credit, is partnering with having like a, um, having a, a like, an, like using the inclusion uh, dual teacher model where you have a certified teacher working with, I don't know, maybe an auto teacher or maybe uh, mm -hmm. a robotic, I mean, I'm sorry, not an auto teacher, but an auto mechanic who is a full-time auto mechanic or um, uh, a robotics person who's a full-time robotics so that there's a certified teacher in the room with somebody else from the field. <clears throat> Yeah, and and the other the other and, and even to tag on that a little bit is is having courses of structured learning experiences for the classes where they can go out into the field and partnering with those businesses to get real life experiences, perhaps even with a job coach or or a teacher who's supervising the structured learning experience. So, um, typically we don't we don't see those. Typically, um, we see them in special education more often. But we have had um, with our Environmental Studies Academy, which is through Morris County, we do have a structured learning experience where they do those rich internships and they work out in the field. So that's a great a great solution to that problem as well. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic idea. And one one of the one of the barriers that we have is all of the all of the criteria for the credits and everything else so that the courses that are required, because there are other countries that do other models where you're in school one week, then you're in the job, uh, doing the job the next week. And I think that, I believe that's the German model. And I'm not saying that's for all kids, you know, from middle school, but at least definitely when you're getting up into the uh, junior, senior levels. It's a great option. So as you know, we were just- Just one, can I just add on, tag on one thing to that? Of course. I think the reason why this is so important is because you know, exposing kids as early as we can to these careers, getting them to even go through the motions of the structured learning experiences are extremely important, as my colleague had said, because we're, we're having these kids who are going to four years of college and then finding out either there's no demand for what they're doing or they don't like what they're doing or they, didn't, they, they chose the wrong major. I mean, I'm sure we, we all hear stories of kids going to school for one thing and now working in a totally different area. So anything we could do to expose them to what that's like. Uh, I remember hearing uh, a valedictorian from one of my colleagues' school at Avotech uh, saying, 
I was valedictorian and I was in the allied health program. And I am here to tell you that I will not be going into allied health. <laughs> and some people thought that was like, oh, wow, that was a waste of time. Other people looked at it like, wow, that, he just saved himself and his parents a bunch of money. He could have went, went halfway through medical school, accrued all those debts to realize he didn't like that professional. So we brought into the conversation as well that, you know, we have these unicorn teachers. So how do we get the assistance from the Department of Education or from our state representatives in bringing these people who do have such great experience when we're already lacking teachers in public education? I, I believe that at this point, I'm going to make the profession more attractive to people who you know, have not gone through the traditional student teaching uh, experience and gone through a, a teacher education program. Uh, and uh, hopefully that that is going to extend uh, to uh, all the areas that CTE touches because as it stands right now, and I think Dr. Peterson mentioned it before, it's tough enough to get a math or a science teacher just to uh, deliver instruction, you know, in your in your core program, uh, you know, let alone finding uh, uh, someone to teach welding and 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 then finding a teacher and then having the space and uh, to be able to facilitate the program. So we definitely are going to need assistance in and help. And I like the idea of looking at other models, other parts of the world do it more successfully than we do. Uh, and I think we could really uh, learn from uh, you know, a kind of a comparative education lens. Yeah, and, and there's been some there's been some softening now uh, within the last uh, couple of months from the State Department of Education for at least for the CTE teachers with the practice exams. But I think it leads us to a, a larger a larger discussion for another time, which is, you know, one of the reasons that they had to do that is because some of these CTE teachers are coming in and they're not able to pass the praxis. So how do you tell a plumber who was a plumber for 25 years, 30 years, and made his entire or her entire, you know, fortune off of that career uh, and saying, and then forcing them, and in some cases, they chose that route because they didn't like school. So here they, you're forcing them to go back and take math and, and uh, language arts stuff that they haven't seen in maybe 20, 25 years. But is that the real indicator of success? Because these people were already successful and they didn't need to have passed the practice. Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent, <laughs> Dr. Peterson. Like, I, I think that we have so many restrictions and so much red tape and so many hoops to jump through to get good teachers in front of students. Um, it, 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 there's, and that's and that's one of them. Um, it, it, just the requirements and even just the wait time to get the certificate. Um, and it's um, we really need to take a, a hard look at. At, at all of those restrictions and the hoops that need to be done, you know, that the people need to jump through um, to get to be sitting in front of students and to really give them a, a really solid education. Because there's a lot of great people out there that didn't go through 
uh, teaching school, right, that didn't get their degree right. in education and go the traditional route that are fantastic people that have fantastic skills, like you said, um, that, that could really um, give these kids um, what they need to really propel them into the future. Well, this is probably a really great time for us to take a break. Uh, you've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org. The conversation will continue when we get back right after this. And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org. This is the voice of Centenary University. I am your host, Tim Fredericks, along with my co-host, Fran Gavin. And uh, we are delighted to welcome into the studio tonight, Maria Dunbar and Ken Fogowski, two doctoral students who have curated this program. And the discussion will now continue. Maria and Ken. Right, so we're going to continue our discussion with our three guests regarding uh, CTE pathways. So um, for, for everybody, so in your view, what clusters do you feel are underdeveloped? Why do you think that is? And what can we do to start to move some of these clusters forward? Well, I, I, I would look at this, at least the way the question is posed, more so that in some in some sense, they're almost all underdeveloped. It's certainly from, um, you know, the comprehensive public school uh, perspective. Uh, there's very few uh, auto shops anymore. There are very few wood shops anymore, and so uh, I think with with that understanding, any one of these pathways that we can get off the ground, like if you go and look at the CTE website and you click on approved programs, there's a lot of school districts that have none, that have maybe one. And so uh, what, again, from the public school, comprehensive public school perspective, we're trying to just carve out some, uh, some pathways that make some experience available for students that Otherwise, we're not. So, for example, we just put in a TV studio. So, uh, we're going to be then applying for a, a CTE pathway in broadcast journalism. We have the ability to do something in uh, in the area of uh, you know teacher uh, the education piece because you know we have the space, we have the facilities, and that we can work within our means. We're not going to be able to do all sixteen. Uh, certainly, uh, so I, I think it's 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 what can you do and what can you offer anything within those professional pathways that we can offer. I think is is a win across the board for students. Uh, yeah, I agree, uh, and I, I love that the, the the one the cluster that we definitely need to work on is uh, our own teaching cluster. Uh, but <laughs> the what has happened is is that. Over the last maybe 20 years, you know, college was the only option that we told our kids. And now we realize and now we're now we're in a place where, you know, if anybody wants to get any work done at their house, they have to, you know, they have to kind of go everywhere to find someone. So I, I think but I think that, you know, looking at it's a balance because I deal with this every day uh, with kids who don't even know what they like and what they don't like. But it's all based on also student interest. But it, as I, I say, I, I look at it as like a Venn diagram where they have the three circles overlapping. You know, what are you really good at? You know, what are you, what is your, you know, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And what is the, 
what is the economy side? You know, what is the you know what is the value? And somewhere when it, where it intersects is where the sweet spot where you need to be because we could have all these great programs. And, and I had, for example, I had an HVAC program that I had to close because no kids wanted to go into it. So we could come up with all these ideas about pathways, but unless it's tied to something that's of high interest, but also of uh, something that's high demand, it doesn't mean much. I mean, we when we do stuff, uh, we do music production because we feel like at least there's we're adding uh so it's not just about you know media but it's also about the production side so that this way is everyone thinks about the career in front of the camera or in front of the microphone but they don't realize that there's an entire business behind it that you're probably going to get more likely a job there before the you know the, the front of the house or the the the, the star um, position. Yeah, and we and we take a look at like the whole landscape of of, of careers have has really drastically changed, specifically in the last three years, right? Um, what what happened with the pandemic changed things dramatically, and it, and it changed people's frame of thinking. It changed people's priorities, right? Um, so many so many of those things. So. One of the things that I was looking at is manufacturing and transportation and infrastructure. We need to be, you know, people want to be in, a, in this global world more self-sustainable. Um, we need to be looking at transportation and looking at the technologies to help us make be more sustainable. And we don't know what that looks like in in three years, five years, 10 years, and or 15 years down the road, what is that gonna look like? So really taking um, with, with these CTE programs and creating interest in them, helping students know the process and understanding the process and being able to apply the processes of all these different career clusters um, and, and, make, and being successful in these career clusters, what is the process so that they can take a process and apply it and reapply it even, even when they outgrow things or things become um, obsolete anymore, you know, and we're changing so fast. So that that's one of the things that was, was um, intriguing me with all these career clusters is and any one of these career, career clusters could be um you know in, invalid anymore it won't be needed you know or needed as much anymore before it was the health you know 10 years ago when um the baby boomers were becoming older we were looking at um the health care right and and, and mm -hmm. elder care management and things like that so it's constantly shifting so it's hard to pinpoint what with, with these kids what's important today what's going to be important 10 years from now and we really that's hard to um that's really hard to predict and that's a that's a fantastic point i mean and, and just if i could put a fine point on top of that is this is that maybe we need to teach more about adaptability you know three generations ago it was you stayed with the same company for 50 years or whatever it was and you got the gold watch then before like for us as educators we move around i mean at one point you never moved around from a district you if whatever district you started and you usually stayed there after you got tenure so that's changed but maybe the, and i believe what's happening now and the future is that people will change entire careers. Yeah. So we got to figure out that too. So, you know, not to be so um, locked into what we've, you know, our past and our, and our past ways of doing things where we have to be able to pivot uh, at a moment's notice. Right, and we sure did pivot a few years ago, didn't we? <laughs> no, we did, yeah. <laughs> we, the teachers couldn't say, I'm not really good with technology uh, a couple of years ago, right? Exactly. You know, so this is, yeah, this is the world we live in, right? So, Mrs. Whitgren, at that a sort of 
makes me think about the model that you have currently in your middle school, which your students go through um, a cycle where they are exposed to many different avenues. Do you think maybe introducing our students to something that's more cycle-based and not a true pathway where they can dabble into everything would be more beneficial? Right. So one of the, you know, with the American middle level educators, um, I, I really stick with the middle school model. Um, I, I tried and true, right? So one of the things that we look at is with curriculum is it needs to be exploratory. Our kids in middle school need to be able to have a little dabble of a lot of different things and to be able to be exposed to a lot of different things. And what I like about our um, program and our exploratory program is that they're teaching methodology, they're teaching processes, they're teaching analysis, and they're teaching research. So for example, our STEM and robotics classes, they're teaching the process, the engineering process um, of, a, of, of, of creating an idea, then um, experimenting with the idea, building it, um, make, uh, testing it out, and then reevaluating their teaching. And that, that that's a good, process. So they're focusing more on the process rather than on the product, if that makes sense. So I like that we have um, exploratory classes that that they can learn a process, even like the writing process, the decision-making process, next generation science standards. They're all things that are teaching kids to be learners, to be adaptable, to be able to pivot. Um, one of the things that I, I am disappointed in is that we've lost our um, family consumer sciences class. There's no, there's no such thing anymore as a family consumer science teacher. They, none of the colleges and universities have that. And that was a really important class for our kids to learn life skills, to learn how to, um, to work together to, 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 to make a product. And um, they learned, they learned not only to, they learned consumerism and those sorts of things. So that's one one big piece I'm missing from the from the middle school puzzle, um, and how we're going to fill in that gap. But that that's where that's where our focus is here in in JTMS. When I was in, when I was in elementary school, we were exposed to home economics mm -hmm. for half the year, and then carpentry for the other half of the year, mm -hmm. which is why I'm the only one in my house who could actually sew a button. Uh, because I was exposed to it. And then if I could give one more, uh, if, I could, if I could beg everyone's indulgence for a dad analogy, but just yeah. to your point, as a middle school principal, is that I, one, one of my own daughters, I allowed, I forced her to experiment with all foods. I, she wasn't allowed to say, I don't want to eat it. That was the first one. The second one, I was like, whatever you want to eat. So now I have my oldest one who is experimental, will try anything. And I have the other one who is now only is, you know, going on 11, who still eats French fries and, and mac and cheese. If she could have her way, that's all she would eat. Yeah, and and, and that's, a, that's a good point. So our kids at the middle school, not all of them are artists, not all of them like music, not all of them like, um, you know, STEM or, 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 or those classes. Um, but they get they get a taste of it, right? And sometimes it might spark an interest that they didn't know that they had, right? So and mm -hmm. I think that's a that's a that's a big piece of the middle school uh, philosophy is to give them an opportunity to explore and to experiment and to to understand their interests and and to uh, and to develop them. And, and to kind of force them a little bit to yeah. explore, right? You know, to make yeah, them a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, 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 you know, and, and that word uncomfortable, I'm so glad that you said that. Kids today don't want to be uncomfortable and their parents don't want them to be uncomfortable. And being uncomfortable is how you learn. That's how you learn what you like, what you don't like, um, and to be able to tolerate things and, and build up resilience. So um, I, I agree that that's a, that's a, that being uncomfortable is a really important um, developmental piece, right? Yep. There's a, there's a philosophy now that you should only do what you're good at. And, <laughs> and so that's, but that does, that's very short-sighted. Yes. Absolutely. Because, because you're, to your point, nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to experience failure. But I, I have to tell you, I think that's one of the lessons that we, we need to bring back in. Failure is okay. Just don't fail the same way over and over. Right. But, you know, fail, learn, and you regroup and, and go out and better or come from a different angle. And that's and I just um, was in the engineering class in our STEM class and the kids were building these bottle rockets and um, when I post conferenced with the teacher, um, he had approved design plans and I looked at some of the design plans and I said, you know, Mr. So and so, this one doesn't look like it would do as well as this one. Can you explain that? And he said, Well, that's part of the process. Is I approve the plan, but they're going to have they're going to they're going to learn. They're going to learn for themselves that uncomfortable piece, the failure, that it didn't work, and then they're going to have to adapt it when they get through the cycle to evaluate their product and and make redesign, you know, redesign pieces of it. So even he understands that, you know, by approving the plan, he's not correcting all of their plans before they have a chance to experiment and to fail. So I think that's a huge piece of the learning process right there. So since we've been talking about exposing uh, students earlier in their educational careers, so what should these pathways possibly look at like at the elementary or middle school level? And then what type of articulation should we be doing between schools? That idea of our vertical articulation um, is sometimes sometimes gets very lost. Um, some districts don't have um, a high school or, or they're just K-8 schools. And then sometimes we get so lost in our own buildings, we forget to, to have that vertical articulation. Um, it, it's something that we, we probably or definitely need to do more um, to create those pathways. And, and I go back to, I, I have a discussion with our principal here at the high school a lot. Um, and that is sometimes the high school teachers will be like, those middle school teachers didn't teach them this, they didn't teach them that, but, but we did. <laughs> they, just, they just didn't remember, right? So, um, so having the having that vertical articulation so that the next the next building, the next grade level can see where they where they're coming from and to be able to, you know, pull them, pull them along, you know. Well, first of all, I've been in high school my entire career. Uh -huh. Um and my hats off to you for the middle school because I think really that's where that's where there's a lot of work and it's it's because they're they're some of them are, are think they're older but then they then they act you know they're going through that 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 um, that awkward stage and I think that's yeah. one of the hardest age groups but I, I think going back and doing career inventories doing interest inventories to see what they're interested in what their natural abilities are to, and maybe to highlight those if they can if they if they can uh, ascertain what they are right but maybe something it's real and here's something real simple real cheap that doesn't really cost anything instead of having you know a career day once a year maybe it should be every month mm -hmm. and expose the kids i mean there's there are still jobs that I hear about going, oh, you get, there's a job for that? 
<laughs> I, you know, and I didn't know that these things exist. And I give this analogy when I when I talk to young people. I talk about my, my cheesecake menu. Uh, I'm sorry, cheesecake factory menu. You know, when you go to a fancy restaurant and there's only six items on there, you're you're going to be pretty quick on what you're, on your on the menu what you're going to order. Whenever I go to the cheesecake factory, I like every single thing on there, and it takes me forever to order because there's so many things out there. There's so many opportunities, but by at least being exposed to them and having the kids exposed to all the different types of careers that exist, not just the regular police, teacher, you know, things that they see every day, but the things that they don't see every day, I think is even more important because they watch TV. And if you notice whatever is the hot TV show, uh, if it's, you know, like the, the CSI or whatever, that's why we have all these kids looking to go into forensics. Right. A couple of years, a couple of decades ago, it was everyone wanted to be a child psychologist. So I think we have to tap into those careers that people aren't as aware of. Like, I guess I, I wish there was a, uh, an action TV show about an actuary because actuaries and accountants make a lot of money, you know, but they don't get as much uh, they don't get as much uh, uh, re reception as, you know, as a, as a child psychologist or a forensic scientist. Go, going along with that, one of the one of the things that um, we have talked about here at the middle school is those um, those teacher uh, student conferences and we I did a little bit of professional development on developing forms for um, for those kinds of conferences and some of the questions that teachers should be asking their students after after an assignment or after um, a unit of study having them reflect on what they liked about that unit of study and what they didn't like about it and having them think about it and if that's in, instead of one big inventory, right, one big career inventory or one interest survey, they're continually assessing, students mm. are continually assessing their interests and what they liked and what they didn't like about something. So really drilling down on on that, those in, in that specific and that frequent, um, but I think would be helpful too. We're just, we're just starting to dabble in that. Yeah, and that's great because kids change. Right, <laughs> yeah. Well, this is another good opportunity for us to take a break. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Uh, we'll be right back to wrap this show up um, with our doctoral students. Stay tuned. And welcome back to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. This evening, listening to another show curated by our doctoral students here at Centenary, uh, Maria Dunbar and uh, Ken Fagaski doing the honors this evening. Marie, Ken. Thank you. So our continuing conversation here on CTA, we spoke a little bit earlier about how our students' interests continue to shift. And there's so many items that they might not know about that are out there as a career that they have never been exposed to. So although they do shift their interests, there are these certain opportunities out there that are so consistent and stable, like the food industry, education, vehicles, the technology. So what do you envision the trend of CTA to be in the future? Well, I personally feel that uh, it's, uh, it, it's kind of uh, steadily been resurrected uh, and it's going to uh, continue to grow uh, because of uh, the importance, as was mentioned earlier, of you know, it's hard to get a plumber when you need one. It's hard to find an electrician. And, uh, you know, those kind of hard tech um, 
experiences uh, and occupations uh, seem to always be in demand. Uh, one of the things that uh, we started doing uh, through our alumni association is bringing alumni back. And now, you know, with the, the, the Zoom and the Google Meets, we could do a lot of it virtually, but connecting our current students to uh, alumni that are in, in careers. Like for instance, on Tuesday, we have a, 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 a somebody had mentioned CSI, or we have a sheriff uh, from down in Florida who was the uh, the local police chief in Orlando when the Pulse nightclub shooting took place. And he's going to be talking, speaking with our forensic students. I, I feel there's a, a lot of great value in things of that nature. Like we had a, a, a an orthopedic surgeon who was a, a graduate physiology students. And when I, or I think when the students see those who have come before them, like I think what, you know, what, what, what better messengers for some of these CTE pathways than our alumni. That's our product. And they could see people who once sat in their chairs and are now successful and doing things, you know, with those skills that we're trying to hone. I believe that the program will grow and it, it kind of has a sense of kind of a legitimacy and connectivity to, uh, you know, to the local community. I, I think the skill we talked about before, adaptability, uh, is another another important part. Uh, it, it's it's really hard to predict. I think I think COVID taught us that it's almost useless to predict or try to think that you can predict everything. I think I think it's the ability to to be able to adapt to the the new environment, embrace technology, embrace what's going on. But there's also another branch too. There's this whole world, and I don't think we're ever going to have it mechanized. But we just did—we're uh, we're doing a renovation for one of our, our, our Newark Tech, and and it's a—it's uh, about a forty-five million dollar renovation. And two guys, a father and a son, did the entire tile work in the building. Just two guys. That's it. And and I'm wondering. Definitely, there's a lot of things that can be outsourced as, for, or, or, you know, in McDonald's, they now have those kiosks that, that reduce uh, the number of employees they need. <clears throat> but when it comes to those skilled trades, where are we going to look to in the future? Who's going to do that fine work, you know, that fine-tuned work and that artistic, that skilled trade areas, like, uh, like dealing with the tile work or anything like that? Where is that going to come? I think that we also have to tap into that somehow. And I'm not sure. I mean, you know, traditionally in our country, you know, we were very fortunate that we've always had um, a lot of immigration that has come in. And, and that was that was the stepping stone, I believe, looking at, you know, in previous generations. But that's not being embraced now. So what has happened is, is that we've lost all of that. There's, there, the young people today are not as interested in getting their hands dirty. And... I think that we have to figure out how we, we tap into that and find that, not that we want to use them, but because there, there are some kids that want to do this. And I, and I, to tap, we, we, we certainly have created a stigma right here about not going to college. Like if you're not a college bound student or you're not an academic student, we, we have like a little bit of a stigma. And I think we need to eliminate that and just accept people for what, what their interests are and what they like to do and be able to make that, it, it shouldn't be, um, 
a stigma that kids aren't going to college. So for example, when I was the director of student services, our board of education was like, Peggy, you need to get more kids um, applying to Ivy League schools. You have to um, be encouraging more kids to attend a four-year college rather than CCM. You, uh, like there was always, always a strong academic push because that's how our, our schools are recognized. Right, our schools are not recognized by how many students go into the workforce after high school, right? So I think that that we we need to take that stigma away and and allow and allow students and people to feel um, feel that it's okay that that's that's really an okay thing to do and it's okay to be successful by having having those careers studying those careers at the high school level and entering and entering being able to enter the workforce. Um, even with our um, the students who were going to the technical school, when I was the director a few years back, I don't know if it's still the case, but they were starting to become more of an academic application, mm -hmm. you know, and they were catering and they were taking, drawing our students who are our academically gifted students into those programs. They were becoming more academically geared. Um, and, and, and I think that that takes away from our ability to, to um, enhance those, those programs for students that, um, that will be that will be great um, in the in the workforce. Yep, and it's, and speaking as a, as a vocational superintendent, that what happened was uh, that in order to just to keep up with the demands of everybody else, because and the vocational superintendents fell into the same thing, trying to stay relevant. Everybody since everybody was going, you know, 10, 20 years ago, everyone was going to college where it was 100% have to go to college. They had to redefine themselves, and I think we, I think we really lost some things. So I always pride myself on we have what in, in CT world we call hard and soft shops. So we ha we still have plumbing, welding, uh, carpentry, um, but we also have stuff like robotics, engineering, law, and public safety. So there has to be some kind of balance. But you know, it goes it goes back to what you you said previously was we have to fi we have to figure out and meet kids where they're at, and also meet kids where their interests are at and just making sure that they're the best, they're, as long as they give 100%, and, and I, I say this to my employees, I say this to my to my uh, my students, everyone's 100% looks different, but as long as you give 100% in whatever you're doing, and, and it could be being a plumber, or it could be being a doctor, it doesn't matter, as long as you're, you're fully, you're reaching your full potential, that's the most important part. Uh, so that's easier said than done, right? Because it's easy for me to say that, but it's really hard to, to get that in practice. But that's the most important thing. Are, are these kids really, are we really preparing them for the future? And, 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 and are we preparing them for the future them? Right, and, and tapping, tapping into those interests will also create, you know, students who are more connected and more engaged with their school community. And that's, um, and if we can meet, meet them with the programs that are, that are within their interest, um, we, we, in essence, engage all students, not just yeah. ones who are academically minded, right? And now what's happening is that regular school districts, I'm sorry, comprehensive school districts, are looking at the Votex because some of the, the technical schools have, are, are, are some of the nationally renowned schools. So now they're replicating or trying to replicate careers. And, it, and I think it's much more nuanced and much more complicated than that. And, and, I, and I see this happening a lot where schools or comprehensive school districts are just adding these programs. And, and if it's not the whole, the whole comprehensive program where you also include 
you know, job shadowing and you have the job development and you have that whole piece, I think a lot of that's going to be missed out, is missed out, uh, is a missed opportunity rather. So that, that's just, you know, what another challenge that we've kind of put ourselves in. So we have these other comprehensive districts that are doing these things, but it's, I don't believe it's to the extent that some of the technical schools are, but in addition, some of the technical schools are, I, I could understand what's going on with the other districts because in some places it's kind of cream skimming, right? You know, skimming the, the all the cream from the top. So we got to find a, a nice happy medium. So then do you think that, you know, just school districts in general or the DOE, like we have to start to look to have some sort of curricular shift where we're moving away from the traditional graduation requirements where we're required to have the Englishes and the social studies and the math courses to incorporate more of this? I absolutely do, because think about it. How many times today have you solved, uh, did you do solve for equations or quadratic equations? How many quadratic equations have you solved today? But how many math-related money things have you done today regarding interest, your mortgage rates, or whatever the case is, or investing or your annuities? I, I, think, I, think, we're, I think we're shifting the focus. We, I mean, we definitely need the higher math levels, but I think we have to go back to choices for kids. We want everybody to be, right now, parents and everyone want their kids to be honor kids. Everyone's an honor student. Well, if everyone's an honor student, no one's an honor student. I, I agree. I mean, I, I really feel that we need to uh, recalibrate uh, graduation requirements and open them up uh, to a significant fashion to accommodate uh, student interest has been uh, mentioned several times today, and the, these, these pathways, these abilities for, for students to become marketable, for them to become employable, for them to have a, a, a greater sense of self and self-esteem because when you are good at something and that is something that you can parlay into a career, it, 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 it has a lot of uh, exponential benefits for students. And I think we're, we're still pigeonholing the masses into a very, very archaic framework for what education should be. Well, look at the Carnegie units, right? Dr. Rossi, look at the Carnegie units. We're still using that seat time to, to um, as a determinant, you know, that you did this class. We have to have so many minutes in, you know, so many minutes in this class, and that if you don't have this attendance, then you don't. Instead of looking at it a competency base where it's like, there is, I think in some cases we don't spend enough time, and I'm not talking about special needs students, I'm talking about just kids in general. There are some kids that need more time, and there are some kids we're holding back. We're holding back. I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, and, and if we look at you know, you know, these graduation requirements and locking these kids in, there's certain, and, and you brought up a good point. Some of, some, of our, some of our students, they can't meet these graduation requirements because they don't have, have that skill, but they could have another skill. And, and is, it, is it fair to say that they need to be in special education in order to have that, that waived, right? Should we have different pathways? I don't, I don't know if that's the answer, but, you know, and we talked about the structured learning experience before and student interest before and, and, and making our students successful citizens, right? So I, 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 I don't like the idea of having such a locked in, um, so locked into these graduation requirements. And as when I was a director, you know, you'd see some kids just 
so disaffected because so defeated, right? Because they they didn't fit that mold, but they, they still had something to offer the world. They still were good kids, right? They still had skills and we were forcing them to get that, that high school education to meet, meet those requirements. And some of them were going to be working in their, their parents' business. Some of them wanted to, um, wanted to go into the workforce and we didn't necessarily have the, um, the program for them. They had to get their, their requirement because many jobs do require students to have a high school education. Um, and, and, and do we want students to drop out when they're 16 to go to an adult high school to, to do that pathway? So um, that we do the restructuring of our, of our, of our high school programs, pathways to, to a high school diploma, pathways to careers. Um, I really think we, we really do need to take a strong look at that moving forward. And I think the things that we've gone through in the last three, four, five years have really set us back on our heels to, to reevaluate what, 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 what we want to become as a, as a society, what we want our students to become and what our students want, want to become. Yep, and, 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 we, and that can be done. There needs to be safeguards because I think if we, we have to learn from our past, there, there needs to be some mechanisms in place so that this way all, you know, so that we don't have a certain race of students only in one CTE or a certain level. Like we have to make sure that there are safeguards, that there's equal access and open pathways for everybody and so that it doesn't become just a, oh, that's a special ed CTE right. or that's just a whatever, you know, that's just a girl CTE or cosmetology is just for girls or whatever the case is. We have to have safeguards in place, but it can be done. I think the reason yeah. why it's not is because it's really complicated because this factory model that we have of, mm -hmm. all right, everybody progresses at the same uh, grade. Everyone comes in the same way, you know, they come in, I don't care what level you're at, you're gonna start here, you're gonna end here. Uh, that's just a lot easier to manage, but it's really not the best model. And, and, and to this day, as we speak and have this conversation, we're still all being evaluated by a very, very traditional uh, standardized test rubric model. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, the true interests of students or, or anything or even remotely re uh, related to, you know, professional preparation. Right. Or indicators of success, right? True, true. I, I mean, if you if, if any of us on this, this program right now, if we were asked to identify the five most successful people that we know, mm -hmm. and then we asked them to pass any of the tests that we had, that the, the, any of the tests that were ever, we had the standardized test, I don't know if they'd pass. So what does that mean? That's a very valid, very valid point. <laughs> I think we unfolded many layers here today in our conversation and maybe some items that in order to help our students be successful in the future and to start integrating these programs and make our community support us that maybe a little bit more light needs to be shed um, onto what these programs can offer to all the students at every individual grade level. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Mrs. Whitgren, Dr. Peterson, Dr. Rossi, thank you Dr. Fredericks for hosting us. Um, my partner Ken, thank you. Thank you for having us. My great pleasure, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.